Well, hello, church. Hello, hello. It is so good to kind of see you online today. And uh, man, this has been another crazy week. When you thought 2020 was crazy, then you watched the news this week. And the fact is, as, as Pat was talking about at the beginning of the service, in the chaos of this world, I don't know about you, but I am ready today to get into the truth of God's word, which is a solid foundation upon which we can build our lives. The truth of Jesus and his power at work in us is truly what can change things. And so today we begin this brand new series called Six Habits of Healthy People. And in this series, we're going to be talking about, about uh, relational habits and spiritual and emotional and physical uh, health. And so what I want to do is give you just a little rundown really quickly on the screen about what to expect over these six weeks. Today, we're going to talk about owning your identity, what it means to know who you are in Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about respecting our bodies. Week three is on focusing your purpose. In week four, we're going to talk about stewarding your finances. In week five, we're going to talk about how to value your relationships. And then in week six, we're going to talk about guarding your purity. And so we hope you'll be able to join us for this whole series, and we have a lot of special stuff planned as well. For example, every Wednesday night throughout the six weeks of this series, we're going to do a live Facebook session uh, with special guests and, uh, and hosts each week that'll help us dig deeper into these topics. Uh, for our small groups, many of our small groups over this week and, and last week started back into the new season. And I know small group is challenging online when you're tired of being on Zoom for work or whatever, but it is so important as we grow together spiritually in Christian community. We are called not to forsake the gathering together of believers. And that's why we love our small groups. And so we have great, uh, great lessons for us to dig down into each week in our small groups. And then also, I'm going to tell you at the end of this teaching today about something that, that I've never done before. Uh, but I, I'm going to talk about how I'm going to, over the next week, to get us started for this series, spend time each day at noon on Facebook Live to, to get into the chapters of Ephesians that we're going to get an introduction to today, okay? But to, let's just now get started with today, laying the foundation for this series, how to own your identity in Christ. And to do that, I want to take you back 2,000 years ago to the city of Ephesus. Today we're going to look at the book of Ephesians, which, which has to do with the city of Ephesus, and I want to show you some of what it looked like to live there back in the first century in the time of the New Testament. For example, this is one of the most magnificent buildings in the world. It was called one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This is the temple of Artemis for pagan worship that was in Ephesus, and people would come from all around. Uh, it was considered to be one of the largest buildings in the world at that time. The footprint was about the size 
of a football field. Ephesus also had an amazing theater. And if you look at this picture, uh, the theater has, uh, it's not the largest in the Roman world. There were ones that were larger than this, but it was absolutely beautiful as people would come down the road and see this magnificent theater with the stage in the front, and there was seating for 25,000 people. Next, I want to show you the entrance to the the, uh, the Agora, and uh, these three arches, when you would walk through these arches, you entered into a massive marketplace where you could buy things from anywhere in the world. You could get just about anything, and it was 100 meters by 100 meters, like two football fields side by side. And then finally, my absolute favorite is the library. And the library in Ephesus was one of the most magnificent structures, and this is what's left if you go to Ephesus to this day, the front entrance. Now, here's why all that's important. Here's here's the point of me sharing all that with you today. What we want to understand is that Ephesus was not some podunk little backwater town in the backside of nowhere, that this was a major metropolitan city. Possibly the fourth largest in the world at that time. And just like any big city, you know, like Toronto or New York City, while it was beautiful, it also had a dark side. There were pickpockets and scam artists and prostitutes and pagan worship and drunken orgies. It was a beautiful city, but it was filled with corruption and sin. And the Apostle Paul arrives in this city in Ephesus around the year 53 AD. And Paul goes around the city and he begins preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And people start surrendering their lives to Jesus and they're, they're absolutely transformed. His love changes everything and, and the church begins to grow. And for the next two years, the Apostle Paul spends here in the city of Ephesus leading people to Jesus, and helping the church grow. But after about two years, he feels called by God to go on to other cities to plant new churches. And so after he leaves Ephesus, sometime later, he starts to hear stories about some of the things that are going on in that city. Some of the things that he's not too happy about. Some of these Christians who have, who have become part of the church are starting to turn back to old, sinful, unhealthy habits. And these negative behaviors are starting to creep in and cause problems in the church. And so what Paul does is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he sits down and he writes a letter to them. And that letter is what we call in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. And in this letter, he he talks to them about about things like gossip and jealousy and sex and impure thoughts. And he talks about money and he talks about marriage and he talks about drunkenness and, and what we eat and drink and moderation. And so Paul writes to them about all these 
unhealthy behaviors that they have gotten into. And before we look at the introduction to his letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, I want to point out something that's going to be really important, not only for today's teaching, but it really lays the foundation for how we're doing this six-week series. That, That it's important to understand that the book of Ephesus is actually broken into two different sections. And so it's only six chapters, but the first three chapters and the last three chapters are very different from each other. In the first half, he lays the foundation, and then in the, in the second half, in the, in the last three chapters, he gives the application. Now, that should sound really familiar, because that's how we do a lot of our teachings around here, right? First, we study the Bible, we, we study the truth of his word, and then we talk about how it applies to our lives. And so in the second half of the book, when it comes to the application, as I said, he, he talks about rage and what to do when you're angry so that you don't sin in your anger. He talks about things like gossip and how you talk about people and how you treat other people. He talks about sexual impurity and temptation, and he talks about addiction and abuse. And I mean, all throughout the second half of Ephesians, he's talking about, about these instructions on what to do and what not to do as a follower of Jesus. In other words, healthy habits and unhealthy habits. And guess what? I think that sometimes we spend a lot of time focusing on the habits, on the what to do and what not to do, the application, the do's and the don'ts, right? So often we make it about the do's and the don'ts, and then we wonder why people fail in making positive changes in their life and experiencing spiritual victory. And the reason is, is because if all we do is talk about the application without the foundation, we are getting set up for failure. And so here's what we see in the layout of the book of Ephesians. We see this. That the foundation, the foundation, our identity, who we are in Christ, needs to come before the application, our behavior. See, sometimes we're guilty of focusing too much on the do's and the don'ts, which are, which are legitimate, right? I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't have instructions for how we should behave. It does, and they're important. But what's even more important is that we understand that we are powerless to change our behavior if we don't allow Christ to absorb our mind first with our identity because the foundation needs to come before the application. And listen, I think that's why we so often see the world is trying to define us in all the wrong ways. So often the world says that your identity is about your job and what you do for a living. That's who you are. The world so often says your identity is about your relationships or or maybe the group that you hang out with. That's who you are, your identity. Or the world will say things like your identity is about how much money you have or what socioeconomic status 
you fit into. Or the world will say your identity is about your looks, how you appear on the outside, how you dress, what style or, or what music you, you listen to. The world will even say that your identity is about your politics. Sadly, our world now seems to think that your identity has become about your sexual attraction or even about what gender you feel like. You see, the world is always trying to define you by the wrong metrics. But here in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to see here today that, that Paul says if you are going to follow Jesus, your foundation needs to be different from the people around you in the world. And so Paul says for Christians, there are, there are three words that kind of define our identity here in the beginning of Ephesians. Adopted, redeemed, and sealed. Wherever you are, maybe you're at home in your living room or you're sitting with your family or, or maybe you're, you're uh, like Pat said, some, you're out uh, running and, and listening to this message on your phone right now while you're exercising or wherever you might be. Would you just stop right now and say these words out loud with me? Would you say, adopted, redeemed, and sealed. These are the three words that we're going to see today in Ephesians chapter 1. So let's get into the Bible. First of all, adopted. Let's begin reading in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Paul, so he begins the letter introducing, that's how we sign a letter at the end, they would sign their letter at the beginning, which kind of makes more sense, right, to explain who you are when you send it to them. And so he introduces himself. They know him well. Again, he's the one who helped start this church and helped lead it for years. And he writes back to them and says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. He reminds them who they are, that they are saints. That's their identity. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, there's all kinds of debate over some of the words in these few verses that we read, like words like chosen and predestined, and how much of it is your choice, and how much of it is God's choice. And that's a, that's a conversation for another day. But what we're going to focus in on today is this word adopted. What does it mean to be adopted? And I want you to think about it, not in our terms, the way that we think of it, but what would it have been like for them, the audience who received this letter back in the first century living in this city called Ephesus. Now in high school or university, many of you studied an ancient play uh, called Oedipus Rex. It, it was one of the most famous plays in ancient history written around 429 B.C., about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And everyone in Ephesus would know the plot of this 
play because it was one of the most famous plays. Many of them probably even had come to this theater in Ephesus to watch the play on the stage. And the plot of Oedipus Rex went like this, that there is a king named King Laius who is introduced in the, in the play, and he receives a prophecy that his newborn son is going to grow up and kill him. And so the king, out of fear, decides to take the baby boy and drives a nail through the baby's feet and then takes the baby out into the wilderness and leaves him on the side of the road to die. And as the play goes on, someone comes along and finds this baby on the side of the road, and the baby is adopted by the king of Corinth, who names him Oedipus, which literally means in Greek, swollen feet. That's an interesting name for a baby. Hey there, swollen feet. And so the king, in this story, the king takes this abandoned child home and raises him as his own son. Now, this story would not be strange to people in first century Ephesus because, listen, it was common and acceptable in Greco-Roman culture to take a baby that you did not want and just take them out and abandon them to die on their own, which is horrible. But sometimes what would happen is someone would come along and find the baby and take them not to be a son or a daughter, but to be their slave. And they would sell them into slavery or prostitution Jeff Mannion says that outside the eastern gate of Ephesus that there was actually a garbage dump where people would take babies they did not want. In fact, in a, in a, in a town just north of Ephesus, in a town called Pergamum, there was a doctor who, who wrote a manual on how to measure the dimensions of a baby to determine whether they would grow up to be a strong slave or not. And so... This is the culture that Paul is writing to when he talks about being adopted by God. He says, look, you need to know that if you have Jesus in your life, the most defining moment is not when you were thrown out, but rather when you were taken in. That God looked at you and loved you and wants to adopt you. And I wonder if anybody with us today maybe knows what it feels like to be dumped. Maybe you were dumped by a fiance or dumped by your spouse or dumped by a job or or maybe you felt like you were abandoned by your friends or or maybe you took in an employee and, and you had somebody who worked for you and you poured your heart and your soul into them and taught them everything and then they left you and took all of your clients. Listen, Every single one of us knows what it's like to feel abandoned. We know what it's like to feel rejection. That is part of our human experience, yes? And so Paul starts out in the beginning of Ephesians, and he says, look, I've written to you today because I want to talk about some of the unhealthy habits and behaviors that I've heard that have slipped into your lives and into the community of the church. He says, but before we talk about that, he says, I want to tell you something. 
He says, before we talk about that, I want to remind you about your identity, who you are in Christ. That that your defining moment is not about just your behavior, but it's about who you belong to. This world may have tossed you out and left you to die in the dump. Your parents may have rejected you. Your friends may have abandoned you, but you need to understand today who wants to adopt you, that your defining moment is not when you're thrown out, but when you're taken in. It's not about who rejected you. It's about who has accepted you. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, oh, listen, he wants to pick you up. He wants to dust you off. He wants to wash you clean. He wants to turn your life around and give you a new name. He wants to invite you into his family. And yes, you used to be out there on your own struggling for survival, but you need to stop thinking that way because that is not who you are anymore. Come on, listen, like Oedipus, you can be a child of the king, adopted and truly loved. Man, I wish you were here in the room to say amen. That is good news. That is your identity when you surrender to Christ as your Savior. And so now let's, let's look at the second word. Man, I'm tired out. That's good stuff. Picking up verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And so the second word here is Redemption. Redemption. Now, when, when the Bible talks about us being redeemed, I know in the church a lot of times that seems like a really spiritual kind of religious word, but the reality is if you've ever used a coupon, you've redeemed it before, right? To redeem something is when you, you submit it in order to receive something of value in return. You use that coupon, you redeem it in order to buy something and take it into your possession. And so when, when we talk about Ephesus, remember we're talking about a slave-based culture in the secular, ungodly Roman world. In fact, it's been said by historians that the city of Rome, possibly up to half of the population, were in some type of slavery. And so So when we talk about this word redeemed, it means something to them that we might not think about in our modern culture. So let's say that you're on the streets of Ephesus and you meet a person and you find out that they're a slave. That would have been very, very common. And so you ask them, maybe you're chatting in the marketplace and you ask them, well, who is your master And he might say, well, I belong to a man named Primus. And you might ask, well, how did you come to belong to Primus? And and he would say, well, there was an auction in the city market, and and Primus was there, and he he was the highest bidder, and, and so he paid for me, he redeemed me, and he took me home to serve him. And so when the Bible uses this this language of redemption, listen, Paul is reminding the people in Ephesus that you were paid for at great 
cost when Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, that you were redeemed, you were purchased in order to be freed. Listen, listen, Paul says that when you receive that sacrifice of Christ and when your sins are paid for, now your identity is no longer as a slave to Primus. Your identity is no longer as a slave to the empire. You're no longer a slave to your job. You're no longer a slave to the economy. You're no longer a slave to your appetites and desires. No longer a slave to what other people think of you and their expectations. Because now you have been bought by someone else. You have been purchased by Christ. And you were redeemed, oh get this, not just to stay a slave, but invited to become a child, a member of of the family. Oh, that's good. My dad used to have a song that he would always walk around singing. I remember as a child, my dad would sing and hum around the house. And, and one of the songs that I remember hearing him sing, probably more than anything else, one of his favorite songs, he would sing this little chorus. He would sing, He paid a debt I did not owe I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. So Paul says, don't forget who you are, that you were redeemed, you were released from the slavery of this world and invited to come and be a child of the king. Oh. So one more word here, sealed. Skip down to verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Now, what does that mean to be marked with a seal? Well, there are a number of different things that could mean in their ancient culture. One of the primary meanings to be marked with a seal is for a paper document, a papyrus document, something like this, maybe would be rolled up into a scroll and then warm wax would be placed at the seam in order to close it, in order to seal it. And then while it was still warm and soft, you would put a, maybe a rings imprint on it, your family crest or your seal, and that would, would determine, it would show to everybody who that document belonged to, whose property it really was. Another mark of a seal you may have seen was from the movie Gladiator. You remember the movie with Russell Crowe? And in the movie, there's a tattoo on his arm that says SPQR. And that is a mark of service. It, many gladiators would have a seal or Roman soldiers would have this tattoo, a brand that showed that they were property of the Roman Empire. 
Or maybe you remember the, the story of the good son. There's another type of, of, of seal of ownership that marked you. You remember in the prodigal son that the son goes away and, and he messes up his life and he's in bad condition and he finally comes home and he asks his father, he begs for his father to forgive him. And what does the father do? The father puts a ring on his finger. Listen, and so Paul says, you need to realize that when you believe in Jesus, that, that you receive God's mark upon your life. And that mark, that seal is a promise. That seal is, is God reminding you who you belong to so that you never forget. And here's why that matters. When the man or, or woman you fell in love with ends up betraying you and breaking your heart, and you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn, God is there whispering to your spirit saying, oh, but don't forget, they may have rejected you, but you're mine. I love you. You're my child. You belong to me. When you lose your job, and, and maybe that job was your identity. I mean, maybe in your job you found your sense of value and self-worth. And then you lost it. And, and in that moment, God reminds you, you were mistaken. That job was not your identity. Who you are is not a lawyer. It's not a construction worker. It's not a, a, a salesperson. Who you are is a child of the king, beloved and cared for. Maybe you're at a funeral. And you've lost someone you love and you don't know how to carry on without them. And in that dark moment, God speaks into the darkness and says, listen, don't forget who you are, that you're part of my family, that you're my child. I've loved you and I've prepared a way for you. And so these three words, adoption, redemption, and marked with a seal, here's what they mean. Three things that I want to just say here at the end. He adopted me. He paid for me. I'm his. Wherever you are right now, would you say that out loud with me? Maybe together you can just say it out loud. Declare it. Just own your identity today. Say it with me. He adopted me. He paid for me. I'm his. And when you begin to see that, all of a sudden, these, these other things start to, to, to blossom and you begin to see who you are. And all of a sudden, when you realize these three, three things, you realize, oh yeah, now I know I am secure. Now I know that I am free. I am forgiven. Your identity becomes, I am royalty. I'm a child of the king. I am loved. I have no fear in Christ. I am heaven bound. I am provided for. I'm an overcomer. I am an ambassador ambassador as a citizen of heaven. I am whole in Christ. I am strong in Christ. I am chosen to bear fruit. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am rescued. I'm never alone. And when you start to understand that, and that gets down into the core of your being, it begins to change your thinking. 
And you don't have to get all stressed out anymore over the same things that other people do. You don't have to worry about how people treat you or what people think of you. You, you don't have to turn to alcohol or pornography anymore. Those habits that you've been trying to break, those addictions that have enslaved you, those, those attitudes that have held you, that feeling of condemnation that has bound you, those strongholds in your life all begin to change and fall away when you know who you are in Christ. See, it doesn't just change with our behavior. It starts with knowing our identity, what the Bible says about us. That's why we are so dependent upon his word. We need his word to correct our thinking and to stop thinking like people in the world. When you know this, it changes the way you think about death. You don't have to be afraid anymore because you know where you're going to spend eternity. When you begin to know your identity, all of a sudden you don't have to control everybody all the time. You no longer have to be in charge all the time because you let God be in charge because you trust him. It changes the way you use your time and set your priorities. You start to want to help others. You start to want to serve others and to minister to others. You start to share your faith and invite others to experience Jesus. You start to change your behavior. You start to change your habits, not out of guilt or condemnation, but because you see how much he loves you and how he's empowered you and filled you with his spirit. And now, all of a sudden, you want to make those changes because you want to honor him. You want to bless him. You want to please your father. You see, one of the, the reasons, one of the reasons that we get locked into these habits where we can't break free in our unhealthy patterns and in the bondage in our life is because we don't know who we are in Christ, what the Bible says about us. And so we're going to do some special things here for this series and the, and the first thing that I want to do is ask you every day this week to read a chapter in Ephesians. So here's our assignment. Our assignment today in Ephesians chapter uh, 1 through 6 is each day read another chapter. So tomorrow we're going to start with chapter 1. And then the next day we're going to read chapter 2. And the next day chapter 3 right through until Saturday when we get to chapter 6. And I'm going to do something different that I've never done before is I'm going to come on Facebook Live every day. This is not on the church account, just on my personal account. That way if I say something stupid, we don't have to blame the church. Okay, uh, and, and I'm just gonna go live on Facebook each day this week at noon Atlantic, that's 11 Eastern time, for those of you in the States or in Central Canada. And we're gonna go through those chapters together. Tomorrow, we're going to read chapter one. The next day, we're going to do chapter two, and then I'm going to pray for you. And, and see, to get our identity down, we need to lay it upon the foundation of what God says about us. And so I hope you'll join me for that. And then we're also going to invite you to join the Moncton Wesleyan Facebook account every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m., 
where we're going to be there with special guests, and it's going to be really, really good, and, and you'll hear more about that if you do this. There's, there's another thing. Now, you can join those at any point. And so, actually, go back to one more. Just I want to just remind you. Just go back. Uh, maybe you want to take a picture right now and freeze frame this so that you don't forget these but if you do forget, all you have to do is we'll send you some reminders and some coaching texts. If on the next screen, if you text the word HABITS to 506-406-4400. And we'll send you a text and remind you about some of these things and give you some encouragement as you can join this journey together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, today I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that as we go through this journey together over the next six weeks, that we would begin to see positive changes, perhaps over some of the unhealthy habits that we've allowed to creep into our lives, into our relationships, into our finances, into our body, into our thinking, into our relationships. Lord, I just pray that in this series that you would transform us. But Lord, we're reminded today that it doesn't happen just through trying harder, but through knowing who you are and what you have done for us and the power that is available to us. Lord, change our thinking. And Lord, for anyone who's with us today, who has never surrendered to Jesus. Maybe right now in your heart, if that's you, if you're with us today and, and you feel like God has been speaking to you and calling your name and saying, I want you to be my child. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins to pay the price that you could never pay on your own. He paid the debt he did not owe to pay the debt that you could not pay to wash your sins away. And right now in your heart, would you just pray this prayer if you're ready to submit to him. Say, Heavenly Father, I see today that you love me. Thank you for providing the way for my salvation. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for my sins so that I can be forgiven so I receive that gift right now. Tell him I receive that gift. Take hold of it in your spirit right now, in your soul. Reach out and invite him to come in and transform you from the inside out. And together, Lord, we make the commitment to follow you. Building our lives on the truth of your word, empowered by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.